Amen. Well, I think with, as with all things when it comes to um, getting in God's Word, um, if you're not shocked from time to time about the things that you read in there, um, I'm kind of doubting whether you're really getting into His Word or not. Um, there are some really shocking things in there. And one of the things that, like I shared this morning, I've been very hesitant about wanting to talk about money because um, I know as a child growing up in the 80s, I remember just the one scandal after another of just people up there weeping and, you know, begging for money and your seed money. And I'm not going to make fun of all that kind of stuff. You were there. You guys saw it. You cringed through it. And, But I also know that there is a correct way to handle money. And um, I'm just praying today that through the Holy Spirit that um, even in this, um, talking about giving and money and God's view on it, that you guys will be able to find something new um, to cling hold of um, in these interesting days that we're having. Um, I know there's all the stuff that's going on in uh, Ukraine and all the inflation that's going on here in our own country. You guys can go out into the uh, hot spot and see the it all rising and going up. Um, but I want us, and I know I believe the Lord wants us to be people who are not shaken by events that are going on around us. Um, we belong to another kingdom. Even though we are here in the United States on planet Earth, um, but we also belong to another economy, I believe, too, God's economy. And, um, you know, last time I read, the streets are paved with pure gold. So he's got it all. He's got it all, and that includes money. So here we go. Let's go ahead and turn to Acts 20. to kind of skip around, starting with verse 19, Acts 20, starting with verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility. This is Paul talking to the elders and leaders and the congregation at Ephesus. Um, he's getting ready to say goodbye to them, never to see them again. Paul saying, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Verse 20, and how I kept nothing back from you that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house. Verse 24, um, yes, start with verse 24, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish the race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Verse 27 is really what I want you to look at. For I have not shunned or avoided to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And I'm not going to touch on too many points with Paul and his teachings on money and giving. Um, I'm going to kind of go around a little bit in the Old Testament and also the New to kind of give a, a balanced view of how God views it. But I believe this is part of what Paul taught was about money as well and giving. Um, this is part of the full counsel of God. And I know there were a lot of people who have been burned before. Um, marriage comes up there a lot. Um, I know a lot of young people. Um, some people are very near to me who are young who want to avoid marriage at all costs because they've seen so many people do it wrong. And I believe as a Christian, it's like that is the opposite of the way we need to be. We need to be people who are full of faith, 
I mean, despite the odds that are out there in the world, it's like the Lord is for us, and we need to not reject something that's as beautiful as marriage because we're afraid that we might mess up or someone has messed it up before. I guarantee almost any good thing that we have in this world has been screwed up or messed up at one point or another. It just has. And I believe the same way with uh, money. It could be the same way, too. This is like, yeah, it has been completely abused and completely done wrong. I mean, just and, and in Christendom, it's done it so much. So anyway, let's not reject those things which are good that come from God, though. OK, it's OK. Oh, boy. All right. Here we go. Romans 12. <laughs> Romans 12. Someone just read from Romans this morning. Someday in my 60s, I think I will tackle Romans. So we'll go through the whole thing. (laughs) Romans 12. Starting with verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that is good and acceptable and perfect, which is the will of God. And one of the things that I believe as we talk about a subject such as this, that as a believer that you need to present, first of all, before we even get into these type of things, you need to present your body, a living sacrifice to God. You've got to be all in. And you can't be really half in, because you're just going to get half these results in your life. When we go to verse 2, where it talks about, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how does that happen? How does our mind get renewed? Anybody. Getting in the Word, yes. Washing of the Word, it changes the way we think. That is a process. And you've heard from up here, this pulpit, many times. Sometimes those things can go in an instant. Praise the Lord, that's great. Deliverance right there. Sometimes it takes a long time for these things to get smoothed over and worked over and worked out. And then we look at this last part. It's almost like a uh, succession of phases in the lives um, of God's children that we may be able to prove what is good, acceptable, and then finally perfect, the perfect will of God. And I think as we start out as babies um, in the Lord, as we're born again, you remember those moments. It's like, man, those wonderful times. You felt so close to the Lord. And Scripture comes to my mind where it talks about taste and see that the Lord is good. And we begin in that process with it. It's like, man, the beginning of the process, like, God is really good. Maybe before when we didn't know about God, uh, some of us maybe even hated him. Some of us just ignored him. But when we come to him, he begins to change our mind and we start thinking, man, God is good. And we go on to that next thing. Where when we're doing the will of the Lord, where it's pleasing. And I know, it's like, I, you know, I'm getting ready to push 50. You know, that's kind of old, but kind of young to some of you guys. And uh, it's just numbers. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> I know. You'll forgive me later and receive a great reward. But we, when we start to go into that next phase, I think, in our life where we just want to please the Lord. Amen. And it's just like, I know it's such a simple, childish thing to say, but it's like when you do a good job, when you do something, you know that it's in God's will. And then all of a sudden you just get that sense from the Lord. It's like what you've done, son or daughter, is so pleasing to me. And it might be through someone else's voice. Usually it is. Or when your own child does something that's pleasing, after the four millionth time of you telling them to scrape off the dishes, rinse them off, stack them on the side, and all of a sudden 
They're doing it without being asked. I know it sounds like a silly thing, but it's not. And God, you know, in His mercy too, though, is just, He is pleased in those things and to feel the pleasure that comes from the Father because we succeeded in something. There's nothing like it. There is really nothing like it. And you know, at the end of the age when we stand before Jesus as our judge at this Bema seat, one of the things I desire more than anything else is to hear that phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. There's nothing else we crave more than that. I'm just telling you. I still crave that from my own parents, that I'm doing a good job. I'm just saying. And then finally, as we end there, go into that last phase, I believe, in our life, this sojourn on this, uh, on this planet, we see that the will of God is perfect. Perfect in every aspect. Perfect in every respect. Everything about, we can look back, all the things that the devil meant for our destruction, to kill us, to destroy everything around us, God has completely turned it around as a believer and we can say just like Joseph, it's like what you meant for evil, God has turned around for his good and for the salvation of many. We can look back. So anyway. And I believe that all these things, as we uh, walk in life, it's going to involve money and how we deal with it or how it deals with us. And we do. We need to surrender before God. We need to, on a, I believe, a daily basis. You know, it's like, Lord, what would you want me to do as your disciple, as your bondservant? My time is not my own. What do you want me to do? And that's an important act. <clears throat> Money, one of the things um, I think is so wonderful about it, it represents our time. You know, if you're a businessman... A woman represents all that time that you put into your business to make money, to help others, to make a living for your family. It also has to do a lot with your strength. It has to do with your talents. And I think these three things really represent a lot about what money is. It's very personable. And that's why a lot of people, especially Americans, don't like talking about money too much. It's a very private matter. But I think with heaven and with God and stuff, there's no such thing as a private matter. He knows it all. He really does. Let's go to Third John 2. They say in Britain, 3 John. It sounds so bad when you say 3. 3 John sounds so much better. Through John 2, Beloved, this is John when he's a very old man. Beloved, I pray that you prosper in all things and that you be in health just as your soul prospers. And I believe that prosperity, yes, I'm going to say it, is part of God's will for your life. There's nothing wrong with being prosperous. And I think I'm going to go backtrack a little bit too, though, that... During times of our life of being a believer, there's nothing wrong with being poor and having lack. Sometimes God teaches us lessons through that time. Whereas, like, we don't have two nickels to rub together. We're still making it through. And I think poverty or being poor has a lot to do, I guess, my definition. There's a lack somewhere, whether it's a roof over your head, clothes on your body, uh, and food on the table. So if there's a lack in one of those areas, you're trying to decide, well, which one do I need to skimp out on? That's being in poverty. And there's been times in my own life, and I'm going to kind of touch on that later on, um, where my family had to walk through that too. And I was really surprised to talk to other um, people who've been in the ministry before. Without fail, it seems like every single one of them have had to walk through that same exact same thing. And maybe that's not true for you guys, um, but maybe it is. 
So anyway, but I do believe that God wants us to prosper. That scripture that comes to my spirit is like it's more blessed to give than to receive. There's a blessing in receiving. Amen. But it's more blessed to give. Didn't Jesus say that? Okay. So if you can give, that means you got some stuff to give. All right. I'm getting some quietness out here. That's okay. (laughs) Amen. Our attitude about money reveals our attitude towards God. I think so. I know my own life has been absolutely true. Especially when there's a lack. There's nothing wrong with being poor or rich. It's your view on money, though, which can cause the stumbling and the testing that comes along with it. Maybe a trial, Tommy, I don't know. (laughs) Or a temptation. You guys turn to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verse 24. You guys have all heard this many times, I'm sure. Jesus speaking, No one, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and riches Or my translation, it says mammon. Now, mammon is not money, is from what I understand. It is the satanic principality or power that makes men and women want to love and put their trust in money. It's a spiritual force. If you guys... Obviously, we can see that in every night in the nightly news. Human trafficking. My God, that's all about money. You're, you're selling someone who's made in the image of God into slavery so you can make money. Because you love it so much. And how many songs do we have nowadays? It's like they're just basically just worshiping money. It's out in the open. There's always been worship of money and people putting their trust in money, that now it's just wide, wide open. It's everywhere. And Jesus was very clear on this. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot. And one's a lot better master than the other. Because in the end, that's you're not taking your money with you. I don't care if you're a Viking and... They pile all the plunder on your ship and they burn it and you're out in the North Atlantic and stuff. It doesn't matter. If you're like the Pharaoh and you got all, he got put in your sarcophagus and they put all your servants there and all your wealth and all that, you're not taking that anywhere with you. It's not going anywhere with you. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And he's still the Lord who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything is his. Now, we do have this world system, which is completely satanic, run by Satan, okay, which is coming to nothing in the end. And money is probably one of the main things, the love of money is one of the main things that he uses to seduce people and keep them under his power. So mammon is that spiritual force, and it's real. You know, I believe that, you know, one of the words that we didn't really hear about too much in the 20th century until probably after like World War II was stress. You know, I'm not saying people had, you know, just the wonderful, calm life that it was, but I mean, it has ratcheted up. I believe stress isn't a condition. I believe stress is a person. Not to get strange and weird on you guys, but I mean, we're not battling against things we see. There are principalities and forces 
and authorities that we cannot see that are running the show here on earth. But we're in the middle of it, and we're learning right now to be his children. And as I've heard and probably said before, is like the Lord is putting and allowing these things to happen that we learn to train to reign. We will be reigning in the, in the afterlife over his kingdom, assisting in everything that the Lord does. And the responsibilities that God has given you in this life, no matter how small they are, do them well. Do them with excellence. Whether it's pushing a broom, raising your children, loving your wife, respecting your husband, whatever it might be. Do these things. These things are, do not go unnoticed by the Lord. All right. So it's not despising money, okay? But again, it's that, that force that's behind it, which causes us to love and to put our trust in money rather than God. Jesus says, like, put my kingdom first, and I will give you all these things. Everything. He's still the same God who said, it's like, I wanted to, it's like, I can get a legion of angels here if I wanted to. He did the Father's will, so he didn't. But there will come a time when it's going to be more than a legion of angels when he comes back with. He's going to be leading the charge. And nobody's money will be able to save him that time. I don't care how deep that bunker is in New Zealand is that you've got, or if you're on the moon somewhere, you think that God can't see you. There's no hiding. And you don't want to be on that side, because we're still in the age of grace. Thank God. It's not when we've got to beg people. It's just like, you still have time to turn. You still have time to make that decision, because His grace is so much greater than any of those things that are out there. But the clock is ticking. God bless you, Dave. Is that a sneeze or a cough? I'm sorry. No. Let's turn to Proverbs 3. You guys still with me? All right. Proverbs 3. I know Bobby... He reads one of these a day, don't don't you, Bobby? Yeah. One per day, one out of the month. Starting with verse 9, Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions, with the firstfruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. Um... You know, when John came up here, Gibson, and made a godly appeal for the $800 so we can update some of these things in here, um, we got double back. I mean, that's, that blows me away, how generous that is of you guys to do something like that. You know, some people might, well, it's not very spiritual to ask for these things. It's like, listen, we live... In a spiritual reality, but we live in this material universe too, where we've got to like update and fix things and go to Chick fil A to go to work. We've got to do these things. Right, Ethan? Yeah. Hold the tomato. They were a little crunchy yesterday. But still, it was excellent, though. I enjoyed it. Honor the Lord with your wealth. It is part of, I believe, us as Christians that, you know, I know in the Old Testament they talked about the tithe, and I completely believe in the tithe. We'll talk about that, not this session, I think it'll be for later on, that one-tenth belonged to the Lord. And I think in the New Covenant, this is just my belief, it's like ten-tenths belongs to the Lord, every bit of it. 
And that's a real scary spot to be in. Especially if he asks you to give, just like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to have enough money for this, Lord. You know, that was one of the, the wrestling points I think we had here as a church for quite some time about lack and money not coming in. and But we still made it through. And I believe in some ways we're beginning to learn some things about ourselves. It's like God is in control. And he has all the money he wants to give us. Do we still have to be wise stewards of his money? Yeah. Absolutely. You have to be wise in how you run your household. You have to be prudent. You have to do all those things. But God does say and ask of things sometimes where it's just like it goes way beyond where we're comfortable. Into the very, very uncomfortable zone. Where it's just like, Lord... I'm going to do what you want me to do. And I don't want to, but I'm still going to do it. And those are hard times right there. But I'll tell you, without fail, every single time God has come through for me and my family, every single time. And that does not feel good during the time, but when you look back, it's like, yes, the Lord is faithful. Always has been and always will be. Forever will be. All right, I'm getting a little too preachy. Let's go to the New Testament, to Colossians. Colossians 3, starting with verse 5. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, and that list them, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire. This word is so hard for me to say. Covetousness. Which is, thank you, which is idolatry. It was called money. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you also once walked when you lived them. But now you must also put off these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you put off the old man with his deeds. And now you put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So in that passage, coveting, if you covet something, especially money, those type of things, or someone has something that you don't have, uh, I can say covet okay, I can't say the other word too well. (laughs) I've tried so hard. When I was younger, I couldn't say guitar very well, and I say it just fine now, but I don't know. The Lord has just made me just slow of tongue for this word right here, so I'm just going to say covet, and you guys are just going to have to just roll with me, okay? Okay. Where Paul right here is, he's equating coveting someone's money or their stuff with idolatry. We are not to be that way. One of the things, um, I know, you guys ever listened to Joseph Prince before? Okay, I'm a big fan. I love Mr. Prince. And one of the things I love, he talks about the law and the commandments. And one of the commandments is like, you should not commit adultery. And that's a wonderful thing. It's a holy commandment, and we should all abide by it. Amen. But in the New Covenant... The Lord just takes it so much further. He's just like, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and laid his life down. Do you understand the distance between don't cheat and now you're over here? It's like, you've got to be just like me. I mean, it's like galaxies apart. It is so much further. This law is, is a good law. It's part of the Ten Commandments. But what we are being asked to do in this new covenant, 
It's impossible to do without the Holy Spirit. We have to put our trust in Him, in that finished work. And I think it's the same way with, like, thou shalt not covet. Okay. Paul said later on, is like, man, the person who doesn't work, not going to eat. That's a pretty rough saying right there, too. Yeah, there would be. But at the same time, too, he wanted people to begin. It's like, if you're a thief, okay, thou shalt not steal. Paul, and in the New Testament, over and over, this is not only to stop stealing, but get a job. Work with your hands so not only you can provide for yourself, okay, because that's a godly and wonderful thing, but that you might have money left over you can give to others who need it. Again, the law, don't steal. Awesome, wonderful law, holy. And then you got this thing way over here. Get a good job so you can help other people out. Again, it's by the Holy Spirit. He is completely able to make you do these things. Let's go to First Timothy. First Timothy six. I think I'm going to start with verse six. It's a very important scripture there. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. I just said that. And having food and clothing, with these things we shall be content. Verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And, there's a lot of ends there, into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Perdition is an old-fashioned word for going to hell. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness. That's the kingdom of God, I believe. Godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. And so we see here, when I was reading that in verse 9, um, the person that, that came to my mind when I read that uh, was Judas. Another really uncomfortable subject to bring up in church. Judas the disciple, Judas the apostle. Performed miracles, walked with Jesus. Jesus called him a friend. What was he in charge of? He was in charge of it. Isn't it interesting the Lord put a known thief in charge of the money bag? Just saying. He loved so much money. <laughs> he loved it. That in the end, he couldn't serve those two masters. He chose one or the other. And I'm not going to go into the whole thing of his type of sorrow, which wasn't a type of repentance. Okay? But it was just that sorrow that he couldn't believe what he had done, that he took his own life. And I believe he went to hell for that. I'm sorry, I hate even talking about that kind of stuff, but it's there it is. So we need to be very careful. We need to be vigilant. Don't go after it. I just want to kind of give you guys... Like an overview in this own congregation, um, I do not look at who gives money here. And I got that from John Makinson. He says, yeah, you can do whatever you want, man. He's just like, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> I was like, okay, I think it's a good thing because I don't want to know. I don't want to know. 
But I do know, and it's something that uh, Jack had brought up um, probably about six or seven months ago, that the amount of giving from our small group was just unbelievably good, above and beyond. And I just, first of all, want to thank you guys for doing that type of thing. I know it's not easy, and I know it's getting harder in some ways. But God has honored that. And I pray that He give you a special blessing for that. So, and that's the other thing. I, before I kind of go into a little bit of um, a testimony, I think in some ways there could be some more wrong views of money and how we look at it. I know that there was a belief for a while in Christendom, um, not everywhere, but it was pretty pervasive, that if you weren't prospering, um, you weren't in God's will. Okay, some of you guys are shaking your heads like, yeah, I remember that. And then in the Middle Ages, you can look at, there's the exact extreme opposite. It's like, man, I'm going to have a vow of poverty. Because that will make God please. No, it won't. It will not. We need to be careful of both of those type of extremes. There are times and seasons for everything under the sun. But through the Holy Spirit, He will help guide us through those times. Don't just get latched onto one little thing from a scripture you heard from some dude up in a pulpit 30 or 40 years ago. Look at the full counsel of God. I mean, with it, we can bless people like nothing before. All right. So, share just a little bit about. Um, my own walk and our family's walk with um, money. And, you know, it wasn't too long ago where we were very, very much struggling to make ends meet. And it seemed like God was kind of like blocking every effort for me to get like a second job. And when I was a cop in Gwinnett, it was really easy to get like part-time jobs and stuff. Um, you know, not only to make ends meet, but to help put some money away. But it just seemed like during this period here up in Highlands, I was really struggling to make enough money. And I remember I went to a good friend and shared this with him, and I just felt completely embarrassed and ashamed. It's like, you know, it's like, hey, he, there's that scripture that says, like, you know, he who can't provide for his own family is worse, worse off than an unbeliever. Um, you know, the devil can quote scriptures too. But that's exactly how I felt. Is like, I am completely failing my children and my wife. And I'm looking like a schmuck. And God, you got to help me. And I remember once to this brother, a good friend of mine, just talking to him about where I was at. And, and I remember he just looked at me and he says, you are exactly where God has you to be, Josh. And I don't know why that word and that sentence changed the way I looked at life for that moment. But all of a sudden I felt hope again. And it took time. And, you know, we started doing much better and then much, much better. How? I don't know. I think it's through his hand. It was that season of time where we had to walk through that stress and get through it and overcome. And then when it came to... Um, being a pastor here, um, I did not want. It's like I was like, Lord, it's like I've got a pension that I'm saving up for in retirement. I only got X amount of years left, and it's just like I will serve you as a layperson. You guys have probably heard some of this before, and um, you know, Becky and I will do whatever you want us to do, and we'll go home and be in glory, you know, and I'll just finish out this career which I really love. And we'll do that. And I know with the Lord, he's just like, what is, what is the root of the problem, Josh? And I really thought about it for a second. And as like I, I told him, it's like, I think a lot of people look at pastors or ministers as people who are barely above the poverty line. And I'm afraid that I'm going to get back in a real bad place where I was a couple of years ago. 
And I don't want to go through that trial again. I want to be on this good side of I've got enough and I'm giving and things are going great. And it's like, well, I said, well, what about like things like retirement? What am I going to do about that? You know, well, Becky's older. And I remember clear as day, he says, like, Josh, it's like my kingdom is completely different than the world's. And my economy has nothing to do with your economy down here. There is no inflation. I own it all. And I felt in there that it's like, well, Lord, I'm all in. And I didn't want to go all in, but I was like, there's no other way, I don't think. And I'll just let you guys know, is it's like our family is very blessed financially. And that is part of what you guys do, and I thank you for that. And... um it's not easy talking about these things, but I think it's necessary that you just don't hear this the teaching. You need to hear um, some of my heart on these things. So, anyway. So, finally, we're, we're kind of drawing to an end right here. Um, we're not going to go there. It's an exodus where it talked about there was these different feasts and festivals where... Jewish men were required three times a year to come up to Jerusalem. And one of the things that's in there is like, do not come before me empty-handed. Okay? And you guys remember when uh, Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary. What did they bring? Do you guys remember what they brought as, as an offering? Why did they bring turtles and not like a, a calf or... What's that? Because they could not afford. Yeah. That was probably one of the smallest things you can give. And they did it because they were godly people. And it's like, Jesus was... I know he had all the frankincense and the myrrh and all those things. I think a lot of that probably got spent while they were in Egypt during that time. That's just a guess. But, I mean, Mary and Joseph, they, they weren't rich people at all. But they gave. They didn't come empty handed. They fulfilled that. Let's go to Psalm 96. Psalms 96. What's that? Amen. Psalms 96, starting with verse 8. Give to the Lord the glory and do His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say to the nations, the Lord reigns. Again, Part of our life as a Christian is to give. And I love uh, John Makinson's heart and attitude. Uh, you guys know the, the offering boxes back there. What's the scripture on that? Someone's reading. That's awesome. Good. Paying attention. God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't want us our leftovers. He doesn't want just like... Oh, here's a quarter in the offering plate and stuff. Let me get back to that in a second before you go off on me. Um, not only does that, he wants you to be cheerful about it because he, I believe, is a cheerful God and he is gracious and good. And he wants to have the same attitude. There's a joy in giving, especially if it's done right, where you know there's no strings attached and you know it's just giving God the biggest smile. It's good. It shows him our heart and our attitude in some ways. So bring an offering. And sometimes that offering is just, doesn't have to be material. I do believe it is material, but also giving thanks in a really hard time. That's another way we can enter into his presence. And to go back to the quarter thing, I'm not mocking anyone, whatever financial situation you are. Um, 
I believe God sees everything that we do and why we do them, the motivations behind them. And Jesus, when he was standing over at the temple, you guys know the story very well. He saw that widow woman come up. And he had seen everyone before put in their money, making a big display of all the wealth that they had. And she had like two copper coins. That was it. She put them in. And he knew exactly that she had given all that she had to give. Everyone gave out of their excess, which is great. She did the best. She gave all that she had to live on. You know, as my dad would like to bring out too, it's like this was high praise. Like this was a, a corrupt uh, temple system that was going on during that time. Jesus had to cleanse it twice from merchants and a den of thieves, and people were making money off of this stuff. So God sees exactly how much you give, and He knows how much it is. He knows exactly how much it is. And it honors Him, and it brings Him glory. He's still the same God that watches. He still watches and sees how much you give. Sometimes that's time or effort and a lot of things. Today we're going to stick on the money thing. Is that He watches that type of thing. All right, we're almost there. Acts 10. Again, this is just a beautiful story where the uh, Gentiles are open up to the gospel for the first time. Chapter 10 in Acts, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. And in the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid. And he says, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up from memorial before God. Now send those men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And he will tell you what you must do. When the angel had spoke to him, he had departed. Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. And, of course, the verse that we want to kind of zero in on is like, not only does God see it, but before this Gentile who wasn't even saved. So these prayers and these alms, the money he was giving, this is, I think alms have to do more giving to the poor, came up as like an incense. We sang a lot about incense this morning. The prayers of the saints being an incense. It's interesting to think, too, that the things that we give is also an incense before the Lord, a memorial before the Lord. And you guys remember that story with Jesus, with the centurion also. The Jews came to him, begged him. It's like, listen, he's got a um, servant who's sick. And it's like, this man loves our nation. He's given money to help build their synagogue. And that opened the door for Jesus to do an incredible thing with an unbeliever. He wasn't sent to them. But he was going to go to this man's house. So those things go together. And I think with anything that we do, though, you know, when it comes to our money, our time, our life, the things that we do, it has to be done in faith. It can't be out of a slavish idea of like, I've got to do this. Sometimes your attitude needs to take a back seat. And then you need to tell your souls, like, hey, that's enough. We're going to do it anyway. I know we won't be as comfortable. That's okay. We get clothes on our back, and we get food in the fridge, and we get a roof over our head. So, just during these times, with the stress that's ratcheting up, 
in all the things that are going on in the world right now, wars and rumors of wars, and just plagues and pestilence, our God is on His throne, and He sits. He's not up, walking around pacing. He sits, high above it all. And His train fills the entire temple. We need to get a grasp of that, the eternal. Because all these things will perish. It's like, listen, the money you got and all these things, they're going to go away. But we can use them to store up real treasures in the life to come. If you're faithful with little things, He's going to make you faithful over great things. But if you're not very good at dealing with something as small as money sometimes, how can God give you true riches? How can He trust you with other things? He won't. And I don't say that to condemn you guys or to make you feel bad. But it is so important that the things that He says... He means them. And He does it for our good. And He does it for His glory. So, I'm going to go ahead and leave it right there. I think we've gone far enough for today. I see a couple people starting a little tired. <laughs> it's okay. Let me go ahead and pray. Well, Father, we just, uh, we thank You that in everything that we do in this life, you are very, very concerned. You're the same God who knows when one sparrow falls to the ground. You're the same God that watches as these flowers bloom here today and gone tomorrow. How much more our own lives? So, Lord, I just pray that the things that you have given us to do and the things that we know we should be doing, Lord, that we would begin to walk in them if we're not. Lord, we just thank you for Lord, this, the generosity of this congregation. Again, God, I just pray that you give them everything that they need and then some, and then more. Lord, we would not be afraid, Lord, at the gas pump or at Ingalls or anywhere we go, knowing that you, Lord, take care of us. You are the one, Lord, that upholds us in your mighty right hand. And Father, would help us to rest in that truth. That you were causing all these things to come together for your good. And what the enemy means for our destruction or our doubt or whatever it might be, you will turn around for our good. For those who love you. And we thank you, Lord, that you first loved us. So bless these people today and just thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, any of the elders, do you think, is there anything you want to add or, okay. Guys, just go get your, your children and go eat sumptuously.